This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. You can turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. So we're, we're in a new place, but we're in the same old story, right? We're in the, the word of God. No matter where we are, that's where we'll be, is in the word of God. And we're again in the book of Ephesians. If it's your first time with us, we've been going through a series that we're calling We Are, where we're looking for how do we find identity in Christ in the book of Ephesians, uh, so we're going through this book pretty slowly, just, just looking and saying, how should we be formed as Christians to find our identity in Christ? The book of Ephesians helps us with that. And this morning, we're going to see uh, a, a, a really direct way that we can find identity in Paul, the writer of the book, expressing where he's found his identity, and I'll just give it to you on the front side. We'll talk more about it. But uh, what I would say is in this section that we're going to see this morning, Paul declares himself a gospel activist. He declares himself, not in those words, but uh, in the sentiment, he declares himself as a gospel activist. Now, we live in a time right now as the activist generation, the millennials are getting on towards 40. We're getting old. Just kidding. Um, if you're above 40, I'm sorry, but the millennials are getting on towards 40 and some have called them the activist generation. So we see activists all over the place now and from all different political persuasions. You know, there's, there's uh, abortion, anti-abortion activists and there's environmental activists and there's racial justice activists and there's second amendment activists and, and you name it, there's an activist for it, right? And something that I, I was thinking about recently that I think is, is interesting is that activism doesn't pay. Typically, if you get paid for your activism, then you're a lobbyist. But to just be an activist, you don't get paid. Meaning these people that maybe your kids watch them on TikTok and they have these, these people that they follow on YouTube, that is not their day job. Their day job is probably something less glorious, but what they're known for is their activism. That's what they're known for. They're not known by their day job. Like you or I might be known as an accountant or a business owner or whatever it may be. Activists have those jobs, but they're known for their activism. And as a pastor, I can relate to that in some ways because I work full time and I'm a pastor. So when I go to the workplace, Lindsay, my wife and I have this joke that any, any new job that I take on within a couple of weeks, I become the office pastor. People find out that I'm a pastor and they see me first, not as a coworker, but as a pastor. Even people who aren't religious, even people who aren't Christians, they see this greater calling in their minds and they go, oh, that's who you are. And they go, no, I'm just your coworker. No, you're, you're a pastor. I want to talk to you. I want to you know, get advice from you. And, and there's a lot of awkward conversations that result from that. But let me, let me confess something to you this morning. And maybe you can relate to this. There are days when I go to work and I don't want to be known as a pastor. I don't want people to know me that way because it's not the role of pastor that I shrink back from. It's what it communicates. It tells them this person is a Christian and they're a serious Christian. And there is just a weight to that, isn't there? You go into the workplace, you go into school, whatever it may be, you're with your, your neighbors and there is a weight to the reality that they know that you're a Christian. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And, and if you're like me, at times we're tempted to shrink back from that. Say, can I just be a person? 
because of convenience or because I wanna kind of participate in some sin with you, so I don't want that holding me back, or, or maybe it's just to avoid awkwardness, we shrink back from this, this weight and responsibility of what it means to be a Christian because of what it might cost us. Well, for Paul this morning, we're gonna see that it's the exact opposite for him, and it's informative for us. You know, when, we, when we're tempted to shrink back from that reality that we are Christians, we don't want people to know that, what we're attempting to do is compartmentalize our faith. We're attempting to say that on Sunday morning, when the expectation is that I raise my hands and sing, hallelujah. But on Monday morning, when the pressure's on, put my hands in my pocket and my head's down, and I don't want to be known for that, because that's awkward, or that's uncomfortable. But Paul here says, no, I am a gospel activist. No matter where I go, what I'm, I'm wearing the gospel activism shirt. I've got the wristband. You know me as the gospel activist, and that's informative for us this morning because actually that should be true of us. That should be true of us as well. And the reason for that is that the message that we have, the message that Paul's laying forth is too great for the mission to be small. And that's our big idea this morning. That's what we want to walk away from Ephesians 3, 1 through 7, remembering is that the message is too great for the mission to be small. The message is too important. It's too big for the mission to be small, for your mission to be small, for my mission to be small. So we're going to read God's word this morning, and then we'll break it down. We'll talk about uh, how we see that in this text and what that means for us as we live it out. You follow along in Ephesians chapter three. We're gonna read verses one through seven. This is God's word to us this morning. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then Paul interrupts himself. Where Jason talked about this last week, he covered verse one. Paul interrupts himself here. This is a parenthetical statement, what will follow. And before we even read it, let me just confess, when I normally read the book of Ephesians, just on my own, when I'm not studying it, this parenthetical statement where Paul's talking about himself, I'm tempted to just breeze through. Aren't you? You go, dude, whatever, man. <laughs> like, I don't care. Get back to the Jesus stuff. What do you, you know, I don't care about your ministry, Paul. We're tempted to just breeze through it, but we're going to slow down this morning because Paul's story means something for our story. So this is his parenthetical statement. He says in verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, or servant is probably a better translation there. I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. It's God's word to us this morning. We're going to break it down and try and understand it by looking at two different things. We're going to look at Paul's mission and Paul's message. Okay, we're going to look at those two things, think about them for a minute, slow down and, and, and ponder them, and then think about what his mission and his message means for you and I as we walk out our faith as Christians. So we begin with Paul's mission. In verse 2, he, he's really establishing his office here. 
He's telling these Gentile Christians that he's writing to that you have heard of this stewardship of God's grace, meaning this office, this authoritative office as pastor, as apostle that's been given to me by God. This is why I'm praying for you. It's why I'm teaching you because God gave me a role. He gave me an office here. He gave me a a work to do. And even before we move on from that, think about the amazing grace of God in that statement. Remember who Paul is. If you're with us when we preach through the book of Acts, Paul was formerly known as Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church. Here's a man whose role, whose mission, whose life work was to kill Christians, was to snuff out the very faith that he's now proclaiming. That was his job. That's who he was. It was how he found his identity as one who persecutes Christians. And here he says, because of the grace of God, his role, his role now is to be a proclaimer of this gospel. He says it in verse seven, that of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the grace of God. We see God's grace changing his role in life from a persecutor of the church to a builder of the church. It's amazing this mission that Paul has been given, but it's not only for him. And he says that he was given this mission by revelation. Something was revealed to him. And his mission is also for revelation, okay? So if you know the story of, of Saul turned Paul, you know that Jesus showed up to him as he was persecuting the church and blinded him with his glory and said, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus changed him in a moment to a follower, to a faithful one. And he showed himself. Paul says, it was, it was revelation given to me. He says to them, you, you can perceive my insight into this mystery. He means if you were to read up in Ephesians 2 and in Ephesians 1, they didn't have chapter and verse at this time. So just look up in the letter, listen to me talk about Jesus, and you can perceive, you can see that I know something. God's revealed himself. God's shown himself to me and that revelation has changed me. So he was changed by revelation and for revelation. It's changed me to be now one who reveals this same message, this same mystery, who teaches others this mystery. And there's an interesting thing there. He says in verse five that this mystery, this message was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It's, it's a progressive Mystery. It's a progressive message that God is unfolding where he's showing you a little bit here and a little more there. And this is informative for us because if you were just to take a 40,000 foot level reading of your Bible, you would find that this is the pattern of God. He doesn't often give his people all of the answers, all of what he's doing right at the beginning. In fact, sometimes it is a long while before they know. Something I was reading in my, my quiet times uh, last week was uh, looking at the names of God and studying that. And, and I had never realized that God's name up until Exodus, when he reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh, is a generic name in the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew word is El. Any God would have been El. It's just a generic name for God. So think about what that, for, that, that with me for a moment. From Abraham to Moses, many generations, God's people know him by a generic name. He's El. They don't know his name. And then Moses comes along. God reveals himself as Yahweh, the God who's compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, right? How many generations went by before the people knew his name? 
It's a progressive revelation. Think about when your kids learned your name. That changes everything, right? You know, they, they walk around for you know, two or three days calling you by your first name. You're like, stop. Just call me dad. Stop. It's awkward. Quit doing that, right? It was generations before the people of God knew the name of God. It's this progressive revelation. And then even in the Old Testament, they have this idea of a savior they know as Messiah. The savior is going to come, but they don't have a face. They don't have a name. Generations later, Jesus, God in the flesh, the son of God. There's finally a face to the revelation that was revealed so long ago. We, we experience this now as Christians, right? Through faith in Jesus, we're given the revelation of God through the Spirit in us now. But we also await a day where we'll see him face to face, don't we? There's a progressive unfolding revelation that God is giving. And Paul says, I've got a piece of that. God has revealed himself to me so that I can be a revealer of this progressive revelation. So I can teach you about the gospel and show you the new work that God is doing. And there's more work to come. There's one more piece of this progressive revelation that he mentions in verse six, but we'll hold off on it for now. But he says in verse seven, this is my mission. Knowing this mystery and making this mystery known. It's my mission in life. You can read verse seven with me again. It says, of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. I really like how the message translation translates this verse, so I'll read that to you as well. It's on the screen, you can follow with me. He says, this is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. Think about this with me for a moment. Paul has a day job, okay? He's a tent maker. He probably takes a lot of pride in making tents. You start with nothing, you end up with a covering for people. What a great job. What a great work that he's doing. But he doesn't say, this is my life work to make tents. No, think about it also. Paul is a church planter. He's traveling around the world, uh, the, the known world at that time, planting churches. He could say, and, and I think many pastors today would say, this is my life work. I'm a church planter. I plant churches. This is my life work to be a traveler. Oh, I go to a lot of exotic locations. This is my life work Fill in the blank. That's not Paul's life work. His life work is to know this message and proclaim this message. Now, how that plays itself out is in church planting for him. But if it wasn't church planting, he'd still be making this message known. That's his life work. That's where his identity is rooted. He's a gospel activist. Know me first by what's most important to me. I'm not a tent maker. I'm not a church planter. I'm not a pastor. I'm a gospel activist. I, I bring this message forward to people and, and it's important for us to see that because if his life work is being a tent maker or even a church planter, he can do that in his own power. He can force it, can't he? He can just take it up and say, hey, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna plant a church. I'm gonna build a tent. I'm gonna travel. I'm gonna whatever it is. He can do that, but he recognizes here in verse seven, I can't do this on my own. It's a gift of God's grace. He gave it to me. He gave me this role as a gospel activist. I didn't choose it. It's a gift of God's grace. Christian, you've been called into gospel activism and it's a gift that's given to you. And it's also not something you can do in your own power. He says as much in verse seven. He says, which was given to me by the working of his power. This mission is wholly dependent on the calling of God and the working of God. Why? 
because the message is so great. Because the message is so big. The message is so important. It's so great. So we turn our attention there. What is the message? We see in verse six, he's calling it a mystery up until this point, and he reveals it. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the grand message that is so big that the mission cannot be small. This is the message that is so big that to be an activist for this message, it's gotta be a gift of God by the power of God. Why? Because what God is doing here in this work, it's just one sentence. We think, okay, doesn't seem that great. But we see here what God does is he changes both the present and the eternal future of everyone who receives this message. It's a message that actually has the power to change things right now, to change the world right now, because changed people change the world. Change people change the world. And that's what Paul's saying here. How do I know that? Because he says the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're of the same body of the Jewish Christians. You remember, we talked about this early in, in Ephesians 3, the end of 2 and beginning of 3, that Gentiles and Jews hate each other, right? You're talking decades, generations of animosity and hatred. What power does it take to say this group of people that hates this group of people are one body? That is power. That message is powerful. It does a work, and not just later, not just when you die, it does a work today. It, it does that work right now. It brings unity, it changes hearts, it destroys sin and selfishness. It, it changes two groups of people marked by selfishness and brings them together in love and selflessness. Think about the number of preferences that need to be laid down for Jews and Gentiles to come together and be one body. It's amazing. This is powerful work. This message is doing. I heard uh, Derwin Gray say something this week that I thought was really poignant because it's, it just speaks to the power of this message in the immediate. He says, for Paul, there wasn't a concept for a multiracial church or a multicultural church. And we talk about that today. We wanna have a multi-generational church or a multiracial church or whatever. Paul doesn't have a concept for that because he doesn't need the qualifier. The church is multi-ethnic, right here, Jews and Gentiles. The church is multi-class, rich and poor. The church is multi-generation, young and old. That's what it is. There's no qualifier needed because the power of the gospel changes things right now in such a way that you don't even have to say that. It just is. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of this message that Paul is proclaiming. It changes today. It changes you today, Christian. It also changes eternity when Paul says, the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. These are promises today, but these are eternal promises. The promise is simply this, life with God forever. Life with the God of all creation forever. That's the promise. And it only comes through faith in Jesus, by the work of Jesus on the cross, by his death and resurrection. There's no other way to get life with God. It changes everything forever. Your eternal fortunes, Christians, are changed. They're not the same as they once were. We read this in Ephesians 2, remember? He talked about us being children of wrath, now children of God. It changes everything. 
Only the gospel has the power to do this, to invite us in to receive the inheritance. He says, fellow heirs of the inheritance, equal inheritance. You know, when I was a kid, my family didn't have a lot of means. And I, have one, I had one friend who, is, who I was pretty close with, his name was Brad, and his family had a lot of money. And whenever I hung out with him, I was a benefit of his inheritance. The first time I ever had name brand cereal was at Brad's house. It's like, wow, lucky charms instead of magic stars. This is amazing. The marshmallows aren't stale. This is great. The first time I ever saw a movie in a theater was with Brad's family. This is just a nor- normal course of what they do. But me just being a part of them, hanging out with them means I get to benefit from these things that I wouldn't otherwise have on my own. It was amazing. I wanted to hang out with Brad all the time, not just because his family was wealthy, but because he was a good kid. But I got those benefits just from being around him, right? Christian, that's what Paul's saying here, only exponentially greater. You get the benefits of the eternal glory of God because you get to be around, because he's brought you in, because he's saved you. He's made you a fellow heir. You're not, you're not a secondary heir. No, you're a fellow heir. You get all of those benefits. They're yours. You get the promises of Christ. Church, listen, there are so many messages out there today that promise to change your present. The way you look, the way you feel, what's in your bank account, whatever it may be, they promise to change your present. And there's messages out there that promise to change your eternity. Do this, visit this temple, do this religious ceremony and things will go well for you. Listen, there's only one message that changes your present and your eternity. Only one message that has the power to do it because there's only one message that comes through the death and resurrection of God himself. The son of God died for you, rose again to new life for you so that you could have that power, that presence, that reality, those promises today and forever. There's only one message. This is a great message, isn't it? Say amen if this is a great message. Amen. This is a great message. And this message is too great for the mission to be small. It's too great. It's too big. Here's the reality. If you are a Christian, God has called you to be a gospel activist. Whatever your profession, stay-at-home mom, whatever it may be, God has called you to be a gospel activist. That in whatever role you occupy, that what's most important about you is this message and the mission that you've been sent on. So how can we live in such a way that our mission lives up to our message? What can we do? What might need to change about us so that our mission that we are on can live up to the message that we celebrate every Sunday? I have two things, just broad categories for us to think about. The first is that we pivot our priorities. And the second is that we examine our expectations. Pivot your priorities, examine your expectations. Let's start with pivot your priorities. If this message is so great, so world-changing, so eternity-changing. And then the mission that we are called into, therefore, is so important that we have to look at our lives and say, what, what am I prioritizing that conflicts with this mission I've been given by God? What are the things in my life that I'm holding on to so tightly that gospel activism is an afterthought? Because I can't lose them. We have to ask that question. And really the way we should frame it is asking, how can my talents 
How can my resources, how can my blessings, how can my desires fit into the mission that God has given me, not the other way around? We have to get that priority right. How does all of what what I like and what I have and what I do, how does it fit into the mission, not how can I fit in the mission around the things I've got? I'll give you another illustration. This might be a little too intimate, but we're church family, so it's all good, right? You guys will let me do that? Okay, good. So when I go, when I travel, when I'm packing my luggage, okay, I, I hate when I travel having creased and wrinkled clothing. Drives me nuts. But I'm also too lazy to actually iron my clothes. So what I try to do is pack my bag in such a way that nothing will be wrinkled or creased that I care about, okay? So I put the heavier stuff in first, fold it just right so there's no creases, put that in. It's a whole, it's a whole ordeal. Lindsay laughs at me every time. Put the shirts in just right. I have a certain way I fold them so that they're not creased where I don't want them creased. Put those in next. And then what do I cram in there last because I don't care about? Underwear, socks and underwear. Just cram it in wherever it will fit. Because I don't care if my socks are wrinkled or my underwear are wrinkled. Ideally, no one's going to see those, right? So I don't care. I just cram them in wherever I can. Well, church, here's, here's the deal. I think some of us in our Christian life, we've folded in all the stuff that's important to us. The house, it's folded in perfect, no wrinkles there. The car, just right, no creases. The family, the job, ooh, the job's on top so it doesn't get messed with at all. The finances, oh, the gospel. Now just cram it in wherever it'll fit. If it gets wrinkled, eh, who cares? Whatever. Who's, no one's looking at that and judging me, right? Just cram it in wherever it's gonna go. People might not even see it. They might not even see the gospel in my life. Just cram it in wherever it'll fit. Who cares if it gets wrinkled? that's you, you've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. It should be the other way around. The gospel is the part that we want to get right. Gospel activism is what we want not to be creased and wrinkled because it's about the glory of God and this great message that proclaims life to the dead. That's the part that needs no creases, no wrinkles, priority in our lives. Listen, the reality is you actually can't. You physically cannot cram the mission of God into the things that you are prioritizing because it's bigger. You actually can't cram this mission you've been given into your, uh, into your possessions. It's bigger than them. You can't cram it into your job. It's bigger than your job. You can't cram it into whatever, fill in the blank. It's actually bigger. So what you'll do is you'll just prioritize what's most important. Say, yeah, the gospel might come in somewhere. That's what you'll end up doing. That's what you'll default to because it's too big. It won't fit inside. You've got to flip the order. Flip it around. Put the mission first. Be a gospel activist. We want to pivot our priorities. And secondly, examine your expectations. Examine your expectations. Uh, One of the privileges that I have as a youth pastor is uh, when my kids graduate, they get married. Uh, You know, usually I know one or the other spouse. and, and, And it happens often that about a year in, they come and they say, marriage sucks. <laughs> marriage sucks. We can't stand each other. You go, well, okay, why? Well, I thought it was going to be great. I'm with my best friend. It's fun all the time. You know, the sex is great. All that stuff. It's amazing. Life is great. But then I realized they're just as selfish as I am. And they just want to use me too. And so we, we butt heads now. We don't get along. And so where do we start? Well, let's examine your expectations. You came in thinking one thing that was, was broken, was off. It's never going to be that way. 
Let's examine your expectations and adjust. And in church, I think we need to do that as we think about the mission of God in our lives, this mission to advance the kingdom of God, to know the message and make the message known. If we expect that's not gonna cost us anything, we're gonna be disappointed or we're just not gonna do it. If we expect that it's gonna be all prosperity and growth and greatness and prominence and goodness, I don't know about you, but that's not the story of Jesus, is it? No, it's the exact opposite. If that's what we expect, we're either gonna be disappointed or we're gonna give up on the mission or both. So we do examine our expectations. It's a helpful quote here from uh, Klein Snodgrass that I wanna share with you. And side note, Snodgrass is a great last name. Um, but he has this, he comments on this text. He says this, I think this is helpful for us this morning. He says, the revelation that comes in the gospel is not only so that people will understand, but that they may be enlisted in the service of the revealer. Grace not only connects us to God and Christ and to each other, but it also enlists us and empowers us. Grace always brings responsibility. It never is mere privilege. Church, some of us are expecting mere privilege out of the Christian life. We're expecting mere privilege. We're expecting just grace and goodness and I get all that I want and I get you know get out of hell free card. It's great. It's a win-win. I won the lottery. That's not grace. Grace saves you and then sends you. Grace redeems you and then empowers you to go and be a servant of the living God. That's grace. We need to examine our expectation. What is your expectation of the Christian life? What is it? What do you expect out of the Christian life? Are you at the center? Or is this great message and amazing mission at the center of your Christian life, of your expectations? We need to examine that together. I want to invite the band up as we prepare to take communion here. Church, the message is too great for the mission to be small. It just is. It's, it's massive. It's a great message of redemption, isn't it? Changes everything. It's too great for the mission to be too small. And God knows that. And so he's sending out a bunch of gospel activists. He says that the, the, the fields are white for harvest. They're ready. I've prepared them. I've gone before you and prepared hearts to hear this message. The fields are ripe. Will you be a gospel activist? Will you go into your workplace this week with the gospel first and not your reputation? Will you go into the schoolroom this week with the gospel first and not with the, the uh, desire to avoid awkwardness? Will you go talk to your neighbor this week with the gospel first and not your desire for comforts? The mission's too great. It's just too great. It's, it's all-encompassing. It's the kingdom of God, right? We talk about the kingdom of God. It doesn't fit into the little stuff we want to cram it into. It just doesn't fit. But it's amazing and it's glorious. And the invitation of God for you and I this morning is to jump in, to be a part of it, to be used by the living God. What a great invitation. We're going to take communion this morning and remember what it is that brings us into this gospel activism. It's only possible because the Son of God 
died on a cross for your sins, for all the ways that you've said, I want my own activism. I'm gonna be a, a Tyler activist. I'm gonna be a fill in the blank activist. That's your sin. And Jesus took on the punishment for that sin on the cross for you so that you could be made new, so that you could be a partaker of the promises and the inheritance. He did it for you. And we remember that in communion every week. The bread represents his broken body for you. The, the drink rep represents his spilled blood for you. And as we take communion, you've heard me talk about this, the three R's of communion. We wanna remember, I remember what Jesus has done for us. We wanna reflect and say, okay, God, and I wanna encourage you this morning to ask this question as you reflect. I want you to ask God to show you where you need to pivot your priorities from selfish activism to gospel activism. Reflect and ask him in prayer. And then we wanna repent, we wanna turn, follow God. He's got good things for us. So we remember, we reflect, we repent. Let's begin by remembering. We take the bread as Jesus did with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He broke it, symbolizing his body broken, passed it around and said, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. And he poured the wine, the color of blood. Do this. Remember my blood spilled for you. Remember it until I come again. That new revelation he's going to bring, right? Face to face. We remember his blood until he comes again. Let's take to you. Church, we're going to continue to worship the Lord. We're going to continue to sing to him. I want to ask you that as you sing, take some time to reflect. Ask God, show me. Show me, Lord, where I've prioritized myself over your message and your mission. Help me to change. We'll sing a couple more songs and then we'll dismiss. Go ahead and stand and let's sing together. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.